Hi there. It's Brooke Shields. If you're like me, you know the importance of surrounding yourself with things that bring you joy. And few designers spark more joy than Leslie Evers. All of their textile artworks and print designs are created in-house, and a large portion of the collection is made in California. I love Leslie's colorful pullovers, and with a full range of accessories, there's something on the site for everyone. Leslie Evers offers free shipping on all orders. And this month, you'll receive a unique gift with every purchase. Go spark some joy at leslieevers.com. That's L-E-S-L-E-Y-E-V-E-R-S dot com. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fear of the unknown is the greatest fear of all. And for millions of Americans, there is no greater unknown than Alzheimer's disease. I'm Dana Torito, a writer and Alzheimer's advocate. On my podcast, The Memory Whisperer, I strive to calm your fears about the disease through thoughtful conversations with experts, care partners, and more. Action is the antidote for fear. Listen to The Memory Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. What do you do when life doesn't go according to plan? That moment you lose a job, or a loved one, or even a piece of yourself. I'm Brooke Shields, and this is Now What? A podcast about pivotal moments as told by people who lived them. Each week I sit down with a guest to talk about the times they were knocked off course and what they did to move forward. Some stories are funny. Others are gut-wrenching. But all are unapologetically human and remind us that every success and every setback is accompanied by a choice. And that choice answers one question. Now what? Will Farrell now technically is one of my employers and he's a lovely friend and like that's bizarre is like it's weird to be among them now and to have relationships with them so i've i've spent much time with him yes because chris my husband uh. was one of the three people that ran ran the um the company and started funny or die wow they just came he and his wife and, and sons came to my daughter's basketball game you know and i thought okay i hope everybody's cool when will walks into the state you know to the to watch the game. And so everybody was like, fine. Then we started listening to the girls and the girls were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that's Will Ferrell, but oh my God, his son is hot. (laughs) Greer, my younger one was like, mom, all your, all your friends, kids have grown up to be like super hot. And they Uh weren't, you know, they went from these skinny little boys that were annoying to these like hunky guys. Hello, listeners. Did you miss me? I'm excited to announce that Now What is back. After an eventful September break, I spent the month performing my one-woman show, previously owned by Brooke Shields. 
It's been a whirlwind, but I am very grateful to have worked on something deeply meaningful, and I've loved being back on stage, making people laugh, and hopefully giving them a little bit of entertainment. Speaking of making people laugh, my guest today is very funny. Bowen Yang is a comedian, a writer, an actor, and the co-host of the critically acclaimed podcast, Las Culturistas. He has a fascinating story filled with the most unexpected pivots. Case in point, he worked as a graphic designer until 2018, when after years of writing and performing comedy on the side, he got a job at Saturday Night Live. Bowen is one of the most thoughtful people I've interviewed, and I was blown away by his patience and his generosity. So without further ado, here's Bowen Yang. Bowen Yang, so nice to meet Hello. you. I'm doing the thing right now that I <laughs> that I always think I'm not going to do, but I feel like I know you because I watch you and you oh and I laugh gosh. with you and you're in my home. And so I'm like, "Oh, hi." <laughs> but we've we don't know each other. Um so <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. What if we're like both coming from that same place though? Like isn't do we skip a couple steps? I feel like we're allowed to. I think you do. I think, and where you live in New York, correct? I do. I do. Where are you right now? I'm in New York. I'm a born and bred, raised in Manhattanite. So I'm That's a right. I'm a native New Yorker. That's right. And where were you raised? I was raised um, in mostly in Aurora, Colorado. But before that, so between Australia and Colorado, I, I was in Brisbane for six months. So I barely, so I, I don't remember a single thing. But then we moved to Canada. Oh, wow. We did a lot of moving between, like, we, we moved a lot within Canada. And then when we moved from Montreal to Colorado, that was, like, a huge shift. God, I can imagine. We were taking French in school. And then I had to, like, re- I had to, like really understand, like, oh, okay, I get, like, English is the language you're going to be speaking now. What were you like as a little kid? I mean... Don't we all, like, as adults, like, look back on ourselves as kids and go, like, oh, it's pretty precocious. But no, it's like we were just, we were, we were, we were kids when we were kids. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, I feel like I editorialize my childhood in a way sometimes when I talk about it. And I just, I, I need to be honest with you, Brooke Shields, about how, like, I, I was, like, just a pretty normal kid and um, hammy. And, but that was, like, the, the way, the way into, like, the new schools and these new social environments was just to be like silly and goofy. And as soon as you ran out of your own material, you would like go home and watch TV shows. And like, I would watch SNL and Seinfeld and like the Simpsons and friends and mad TV and like, and you know, the Drew Carey show. And like, I just like consumed all of that to to, like regurgitate it the next day at school And that was like the cycle for me. (laughs) That was my favorite thing to do is just be alone in my room in the complete dark watching SNL. And it's interesting that you mention SNL because I was fascinated to learn that you were actually pre-med in college. I was. Yeah. This is, and this is like, I still like always think about this sort of time and like this is like this is my like now what like this is the thing that like defines like so much about like the way my life has gone is like it could have gone like the sliding doors of it could have really gone another way and yeah it's um it was it it was i was pre-med and then uh comedy was just this like hobby i was doing in college but i would 
always hang out with like the comedy kids, like the people who were in the sketch groups, the people who were in the improv groups. And like, we would go to each other's shows, like throw each other parties. Like it was like, that was like my reality. Like that was what I was going into. That was what I was surrounded by every day. And then I don't know if like, that's what like seeped in or if that's like something that I just like naturally gravitated towards. Was there fear surrounding sort of pursuing acting professionally? Oh yeah. And like fear, fear in the ways of like, I'm not being educated or trained in this and then fear. And then, and then just the baseline fear that comes with like working in this business anyway, that like applies to everybody. Did your parents support, support it? This is a big shift for their son. Totally. Well, they, they kind of, they sort of saw it coming. They like, they would ask about how school was going and all I would talk about was, you know, (laughs) doing comedy festivals or something. And then they were like, okay, but we mean like, you know, like classes and, you know, your extracurriculars and like med school and like all this stuff. And I would just be like, oh, right. Did they want you to go to pre-med? I mean, did they want you to be a doctor? If you ask them now, they would say, no, they did not care either way. But of course, like they say that because it all worked (laughs) out. But I think, right. (laughs) but I think, I mean, at the time there was, there was some pressure. I do I do need to give them more credit now. I find it sort of convenient in my own mind to be like, oh, well, they were hard on me and they like pressured me to like go into this. But I mean, at the end of the day, they they, they were like any other parent where they were just like, we just want you to be happy. And so when I told them, and there was a, there was a moment where I was taking my MCAT the second time at one pen, one pen plaza, like right next to MSG. It was during like the written section that I got to like the written section of the test. And then I remembered this interview that Steve Carell had done about filling out his law school applications because like comedy wasn't really working out for him in Chicago. And he was like applying to law school. And then he got to the written section of his law school application and said, I can't do this. Like the comedy is the only thing I can do. And then he just didn't, he just didn't finish the application. And then I, I flashed back so clearly to that interview, to reading that like a year or two ago that I was like, I can't do this. And then I, I nullified, I voided my exam. I told the proctor, I was like, I, I, I need to leave. Like, I, I don't think I can finish this. And they were like, oh, okay. So you got up in the middle and just yeah. put your pencil down and, and just yeah. said, what a revelation in that moment and how you had the guts to actually get up and walk out. But it, I was in this like weird days fugue. And then like, I remember just like walking down to the street, like getting out of the building and then calling my parents and being like, mom, dad, like I, I just did this thing. And I think it's, I I think I, I think I have to do it. And they were like, and, and this is the moment where I think I need to give them some credit where, because they were just like, okay, well, if you feel that it's what you have to do, then we believe you. Did you panic after? Oh yeah, I think I think I was. I, I, gosh, I'm I'm so bad at these things, and I need to talk to my therapist about this more. But like, I can't quite identify like what that. It's moment okay. Was. I'm here. <laughs> How much should I bill you? Are you in network? No, you know, first one's on on the house. Oh, great, great, great! Thank goodness. <laughs> I but yeah, we I I I think it was like some sort of anxiety moment, an episode of something where I was just like rocketing out of this situation that I'd been in for four years where I was like, I'm going to be, I'm on this path. I'm on the rails to like be this doctor. And then it just, in this critical moment, I was just like, no, like it cannot continue. So you decide you're going to, you make that huge pivot, which is truly an, an amazing now what moment. What did you do to break in 
so to speak, to the business? Yeah. I mean, I, well, first of all, my parents were like, we're going to help you with like your rent for another like few months. And then after that, you have- And were they living in Colorado still? Yes. Yes. And they they still are. They're, 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 they're having a great time there. Lots of nature for them to enjoy. Um, They were like, um, you sort of have to figure it out um, in New York. And then if you can't really hack it in a year, then you should move back home with us. And so there were stakes involved immediately, obviously. Not not that there weren't already, but um, at that point, I had been pretty aimless. I was taking classes at this theater um, in the city, the Upright Citizens Brigade. I love UCB. Yeah, UCB. Yeah, it was. I just yeah. I've done some of their their nighttime shows. That's right. The the I, I yeah I remember you did monologues for like the Herald or no, the the ASCAT or like yeah those mm-hmm. shows yeah. yeah um and so yeah like it was it was I was trying to I was like I was like finding people within that little coterie of like people who were taking classes at the same time as me and then we started little sketch groups and prof groups and then um and then we were just fortunate enough that like you know management sort of like took notice and they would come to shows they would um sign people and people would get plucked up and you know raptured into like the sky and then like i i i i was like pounding the pavement for like a few years like there were it was about like five ish years of just like doing shows not or not knowing if anybody would come not knowing if anybody cared booking people just trying to make it work but then the thing that you don't realize as you develop that is you, you develop reps you like put in the hard yards you like you've bombed enough times that you're not scared of bombing anymore you have met people that you don't realize you're going to work with for the rest of your life and i mean it's all these really nice things that build up with time and with like experience hi there brooke shields here if you're like me you know the importance of surrounding yourself with things that bring you joy and few designers spark more joy than leslie evers All of their textile, artworks, and print designs are created in-house, and a large portion of the collection is made in sunny California. I love Leslie's cozy and colorful pullovers. And with a full range of accessories and home decor, there's something on the site for everyone. Leslie Evers offers free shipping on all orders. That's big. And this month, with every purchase, you'll receive a unique gift based on your order value. So what are you waiting for? Visit leslieevers.com and pick out something joyful today. That's L-E-S-L-E-Y-E-V-E-R-S.com. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Well, you've talked about your parents and the more positive relationship that that you had with them and the support that they gave you over the years for your career. But then you've also been very open about a more fraught time in your relationship with them, which Uh is when you came out. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I came out not quite on my own terms. Mom came home one day, used the family computer remember those like oh, use the family the computer family computer yeah. yeah yeah and then like you know saw some like proof or whatever and like there was no there was no there was it was irrefutable evidence and so um you know my parents were these are these two very scientific people and then i think i think in some ways like scientific people end up being a little bit more dogmatic sometimes right and they feel like there are solutions to problems or that there are like axioms that have to be like addressed in a certain way. And they, I think they saw my sexuality, my queerness as something that had to be like addressed rather than, Hmm. you know, understood or celebrated. I think they, I think they saw it as like this anomalous thing. And I don't fully, I don't fully blame them. I think they were, I mean, what they were telling me was they were like, we never, we didn't, did not grow up around any people like this when we were, kids and I and I kept saying even as a teenager I was I knew I was like no you did you just didn't ever hear about them because you were living in this like culture that like never incentivized or motivated people to do this or to like be public about this right and so they um it was just a lot of I, I'd seen the pain I'd caused and then at a certain point I convinced myself like I have to do something to like solve this like I'd seen my dad cry once before and then but but wait you said the pain you caused just by being you? Uh, well, yeah. That's the way you interpreted it. That's the way at the time, at the time it felt like it was my fault that my dad was crying every single day. And so um, my parents, my dad would drive me down to Colorado Springs, the home of like the mega churches and, you know, focus on the family and all the stuff where there's, there's just like a, a, a pretty interesting community of like uh, conversion therapists there. I mean, there aren't there anymore. It's been, it's been um, made illegal now thankfully. But at the time, very much this like weirdly legitimized school of thought within like psychology or whatever of like clinical psychology and um, went to go see this doctor. Basically, it was eight weeks of this. It was me getting pathologized on like my desire, which like, you know, I've like 
since then spent a lot of time like sort of healing from and um but i will say like the the now what of that really has like it's put me in a position now where i like i never second guess i never question anything about myself now it's like if like especially when it comes to like um my my queerness i'm just like no like this is like it's been i've i've been at war with myself you know and like i won do you remember the tipping point when you when you decided to tell your parents this is who i am and i won't yeah. change it was it was um end of college because basically this this all happened senior year of high school and they gave me this ultimatum they were like you're going to go um and then you're going to go to new york where your sister is and like she had this very unenviable job of being like the intermediary between my parents and me and she was put in a really tough position but then she left and then I came back out again in college to everybody and then by senior year I was just like this is there's no like I can't hide this it just it it really was like a daily exercise of a daily strain of being like all right, what am I going to say to my parents about this? And, you know, what am I going to say when they ask me about that? And it, it just became this, like, wait. And um, it just, it just at a certain time, it, it's a little too much to bear, literally. Does your relationship readily heal? No, certainly not. It took a while. and but then, but then it was like, and, like, my parents had, like, never asked me about anyone I was dating, even before I was out of the closet. They, like, they were not interested in that at all. And then, like... I think it was two summers ago. I just went to the grocery store with my mom in Atlanta. My sister lives in Atlanta now. She's got three kids. Um, just, just like everyone's doing great. But yeah, we went. To, my mom and I went to the grocery store, and then she just asked out of nowhere. She was like, "Are you seeing anybody? Do you have a boyfriend?" And I was like, "No." But there was something so like there was just something so emotionally impactful about that about her just being curious about her asking me unprompted like you know what's your life like. That's incredible. That it was nice. I'd love to talk to you about SNL because it's a yes. dream come true for so many people. How did that come about? So I was in the sketch group uh, in New York for a while. And then one of our one of our members sent in a packet to submit herself as a writer. Her name's Sudie Green. Um, she worked there for six years. She was a writing supervisor, very prolific person in her time there. But she was the first person, we were like 23, she was the first person to get sort of like I'm going to use this word again, like raptured up into the spaceship that was like SNL. We were like, oh my God, like someone's made it. Like it was such a moment. You know, we were like, is this like a rising tide sort of thing? Like, you know, are we all going to like come up with her or whatever? And it seemed for a second, like we just needed to give her time to like develop because I mean, her first year at SNL was really tough. Um, And it always is for everybody, but especially for her, I think like she was entering the show at a time when it was super competitive within the show. Like this is right when like Kate McKinnon was doing Hillary and like, you know, there were so many eyes on it. So I didn't ever consider being on the show or being involved in any way as someone who like grew up loving it, obsessed with it. I would bring VHSs to school the next day, not of like the mm-hmm. best ofs, but I would just, I would just record the night before or that, or that weekend's SNL and bring it to school for like certain you know teachers. That's illegal. That's illegal. <laughs> no, I was. I wasn't distributing. You're a criminal. <laughs> oh, okay. You yeah, weren't yeah, distributing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. There you go. I was just like. I was just like. I was like. Did you see this? I brought a tape. Like so, so corny. Um, but anyway, my manager at the time was like, you know, SNL is looking at cast members. If you want to send in a five minute tape of stuff, I was like, 
they're never going to hire an effeminate Asian man. What do I have to lose? Um, I should just like challenge myself to make five minutes of stuff of like impressions, characters, whatever. Like, let me just try it as an exercise. And I did, I did not do it. I did not make it with the intention of it being seen by anybody of it, like getting me anywhere. And I think that's sort of what was like nice about it was because I was, the, the stakes were completely off. And I was like, let me do what I think is funny. Do you remember what you did? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I did. I did this trade minister character that I did on the sh- that, I, that I ended up doing on the show. I did the soul cycle instructor that I ended up doing on the show. <laughs> I did the the model for like those choking posters um, that ended up being on the show. Uh, I did like a George Takei impression. I had like a very limited set of things to work with. Like they wanted impressions. And I was like, I, there are only a handful of Asian public figures that I can like mimic here. And what was the process like that? What do they call you right after that? Or do you have to go in in person? After the submission, like I hear back a couple weeks later, uh, my manager's like, okay, well, they're, they liked your tape. They want you to perform at this live showcase where the producers come and watch you. And I was like, really? And then I was like, this, this isn't going to go over that great. I go, it goes well. And then the next week they're like, they want you to come in for a screen test. And I was like, I, I kept clearing each stage gate in a way that I was like, this wasn't supposed to happen. Like there was, so this literally was not what I meant to happen at all. And then I went in for the screen test, did that. I remember coming out of my screen test, like I was doing my George Takei impression, but it was him like fusing with um, Facebook to become like the singularity. It was like really stupid high concept, but I was in this like <laughs> silver one piece suit, the silver onesie. And I remember walking out like with my bag of props and then Kate was there. Kate McKinnon was watching. Like no one else was there, but it was just Kate watching in her like little hoodie. And she just gave me this hug. I like I'd never met her before. She was like, that was brilliant. And I was like, that that's all that matters. I, I was able to make wow. her laugh. I impressed her. I left. They did not hire anybody that year. Um, they hired like two people on cast. I was not one of them. Um, but I had met with Lauren. It didn't really go great. I think the I, I think the first thing I said when I went into that office was like, "Yeah, I grew up in Quebec and I speak French." And like I I was so <laughs> I was so like I was so brown nosy about like wanting him to know that I was Canadian too. That like it didn't work. He saw right through it. So then, how do you finally? How do you eventually get on the show? So w- I like put that to rest, and then a year later they were like, they want you to come back in. And so I came back in with like five minutes of new stuff. They called me back for another five minutes. And then I did it with my best friend, Matt Rogers at the time. I got a writing job. He didn't. And so they were like, we're not sure. So basically that was the whole thing. And then they told me, um, Lauren's not sure if he wants to put you on the cast, but like, would you want to write for the show? And I was like, yes, absolutely. It was just like my ticket into like, this world that I, I I like didn't realize I wanted to be in for so long, but now that it was like within reach, I was like, please let me do, I'll do anything. Hi there, Brooke Shields here. If you're like me, you know the importance of surrounding yourself with things that bring you joy. And few designers spark more joy than Leslie Evers. All of their textile, artworks, and print designs are created in-house, and a large portion of the collection is made in sunny California. I love Leslie's cozy and colorful pullovers. 
And with a full range of accessories and home decor, there's something on the site for everyone. Leslie Evers offers free shipping on all orders. That's big. And this month, with every purchase, you'll receive a unique gift based on your order value. So what are you waiting for? Visit leslieevers.com and pick out something joyful today. That's L-E-S-L-E-Y-E-V-E-R-S.com. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Now, you mentioned being um, an Asian American and being the first. Was was that a conversation that ever happened? It was. Was it wasn't. pressure? There wasn't. Um, the well, the only thing that like was ever acknowledged was I'd written their first season. I, I, I had done an okay job. I like I didn't like you know get anybody killed, and so like I I did well, and so that's a I, good. It's a good standard. Good, it's a good bar. Yeah, it's a good standard. It's a good, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's safe. Right. I agree. And then I was working on a show that summer uh, after my first year. And then Lauren called and was like, well, you know, I'm moving you to the cast. I was like, oh, okay. And then he had said, this was the plan all along to like make sure you wrote for a season because I wanted you to know how the ropes worked and how everything got made. And then he was like, and also he said, you're going to be looked at. You're going to be scrutinized a little bit differently. Than, than other cast members. And so I needed to make sure you weren't, I wasn't throwing you out there completely overwhelmed that like you had some sense of like 
what resources were available to you as a cast member. And like, you know, I wanted to make sure you could write for yourself because it's going to be hard for people to like figure out what to do with you. Was he, was he right? I think, I think on some level, I think like everybody's, everybody's on their own journey at SNL, like for the, for as long as the show's been on. And like, I think part of mine has just been about like showing people that like, I can do things besides the expected things you might think of me to do, you know, like I, I, I like being sort of a peripheral supporting player. I like being someone who can just like straight man as in like, be like the straight person in a sketch and let someone else be the comedic focus. Like I like that part of it just as much. And it's been about like making sure I can like round that out to people. What is amazing to me is when I look at your history and, and one of the reasons I was so happy to have you on the show is the fact that you have created opportunities for yourself. You know, you built a full brand and with the following of Las Culturistas. Yes, yes. You know, and, (laughs) and that, talk to me about what drives you to be able to do that. I mean, I feel like I've come from this place of using what you have in front of you. Um, like that comes from like moving around a lot that comes from like those, those times when you're alone and you're like, well, what do I do? And like, like, I, like I, the, I, I cherish those times too. And I'm like, well, all I have is me and like what I can, what, what things can avail themselves to me. And then I like try to make something out of that. And like, I feel like that's, it's just like something that's like wired in you uh, uh, at an early age. And I, I kind of feel myself like l- getting further away from that. And like now, right now I'm just about, like I need to go back to that place of like pure, like creativity and pure, like of, of like making opportunities for myself. Cause I feel like at this point I'm like, I'm, it's, it's getting a little fallow. It's getting a little stale and that's okay. And I think this is just going to like motivating me to like go into like the next thing with like a new vigor. What is the next thing for you? I feel like I've done a, a good job of like not pulling up the ladder I've gotten to help out on like my friends' projects as they've come up and like now they're like on a rocket ship to space and it's like really incredible. And the next thing has to be like something that I get to I get to like create for myself while also like creating something for other people. Like I know I'm talking, I'm speaking in such vague terms, but I feel like that's what I'm working with now is just to like start from like this unformed idealistic place almost and then see where it goes from there. I mean, I think that that's the healthiest way to approach all of it. I'm in awe of your excitement for what you do to continually create. It's it's impassioned, but I think it's um it is an inspiration. And if you were to look at your life up until now, what would you say your through line is? Oh. Oh my God, what a question, Brooke. And for you to say all that, I mean, if if anyone's inspiring anybody, it's like, I mean, you've you've like you've dealt with like this the scale of people attaching things on you that like you don't want anything to do with. And like, I mean, I, I think about you and I'm just like completely awestruck. And I mean, to hear you say that is really wild. So thank you. That's very nice. Thank I mean, you. I think the world of you. Thank you. Truly. But what is your through line, do you think? My through line is just just a compassion, you know? I feel like in in several moments of my life, it's it, there are moments where, I, where I've been, like, in situations where there's a clear, like, 
person or thing or concept to direct like your frustration, your anger, your hatred towards. And it's just, it, it never, it never really is worthwhile to like choose that, to like fall in that trap. And it's, it's mm. to always like, like there, there's a world in which I like never forgave my parents or there's a world in which like I, there's a, there's a world in which I like blame any, any given person for any given problem that I've come up against. And it's just, it's just so the through line for me, the thing that's gotten me opportunity, the thing that's like opened doors for me is just to be like, you know what? I'm going to give this person the benefit of the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure they didn't like come with this like weird, like oblique intention. Like, mm. I think it's fine if I just like, if I can like put something compassionate out there, I think that's what Los Culturistas is about. I think it's mm-hmm. about like everybody like coming together and just like, I don't know, having a good time. It's not like super mushy either. It's like mm. pretty, it's, it's fun. It's biting. It's, it's, it's all of that, but it's, um, it's patient and it's kind. And like, I think that is, that is the thing that's like been my engine. That was Bowen Yang. If you want to hear more from him, go listen to his hilarious podcast, Las Culturistas, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. That is it for us today. Thanks for listening. Now What with Brooke Shields is a production of iHeartRadio. Our lead producer and wonderful showrunner is Julia Weaver. Additional research and editing by Darby Masters and Abu Zafar. Our executive producer is Christina Everett. The show is mixed by Bahid Frazier. Hi there, it's Brooke Shields. If you're like me, you know the importance of surrounding yourself with things that bring you joy. And few designers spark more joy than Leslie Evers. All of their textile artworks and print designs are created in-house, and a large portion of the collection is made in California. I love Leslie's colorful pullovers, and with a full range of accessories, there's something on the site for everyone. Leslie Evers offers free shipping on all orders. And this month, you'll receive a unique gift with every purchase. Go spark some joy at leslieevers.com. That's L-E-S-L-E-Y-E-V-E-R-S dot com. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fear of the unknown is the greatest fear of all. And for millions of Americans, there is no greater unknown than Alzheimer's disease. I'm Dana Torito, a writer and Alzheimer's advocate. On my podcast, The Memory Whisperer, I strive to calm your fears about the disease through thoughtful conversations with experts, care partners, and more. Action is the antidote for fear. Listen to The Memory Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.